Saturday afternoon here on Locked On Women's Basketball to take a look back at uh, Friday night's Game 3s and then look ahead to Game 4 in each of these series. I've got First, I've got Lindsey Gibbs here. And Lindsey with Atlanta taking a 2-1 lead and Elena Deladon not uh, not playing, I guess, where should we start in talking about what happened last night? Well, you know, if you want to take a positive uh, look at things, which I, I, I think there are some positives to take out of the game for Mystics, it's that they shot 36% and didn't have their best player and had their second best player only score seven points, have a horrible shooting night, and we're within five points with a chance to, you know, there were opportunities to win it. So, uh, but unfortunately, you know, this is the semifinal, so really moral victories are, you know, not worth much. I think if this was, uh, you know, a different a different point in this season, you would take a lot of, you know, a lot more positives from this. But, you know, this is it now, back against the wall. So I think what you take is that this is a team that does have depth, that does have a lot of fight, but that is simply not, I mean, this isn't losing Angel McCautry for the dream. They're not comparable, you know. Angel McCautry was not to the dream what Elena Deladon is to the Mystics. And, you know, it's just, not only do you miss her, <laughs> you know, I, was, I wrote this for High Post Soups. I was like, you know, she's, this playoffs, she had averaged 26 points and 13 rebounds a game, which is just absurd. So not only are you missing that, you know, um, but you're also missing the fact that she draws double teams, the fact that she creates her own shot. So the ball movement is just so much different when she's not on the court. Um, and because the Mystics haven't really had to, to deal with this since very early in the season, they're all of a sudden in a playoff game playing with lineups that they've never played with before all season long. So there's just a lot of adversity kind of involved in this. And uh, I, I thought that there was, that they did show a lot of fight. It was, it was incredibly frustrating that Tolliver didn't step up, and have a better game. And she's the first to tell you that. Yeah. You know, it's, and she's in a tough position. You know, I, Elena's a, Elena's a top three player and without her out there, you know, that's kind of, that's, you know, just her standing with the ball, her setting a screen. That's what really gives the rest of these players on that roster kind of the head start that they need. You know, it lets, it lets Ariel Atkins attack a closeout. It lets, you know, Natasha Cloud get ahead of steam. And without that engine to kind of scramble a defense, it's, and and they also happen to be playing the best defense in the league, which I think, you know, and it's, it's tough. I, I think, I think you can. I think you can both, as far as Tolliver goes. I think you can both look at that that game and say, yeah, if she's able to get loose, hit a couple shots off the dribble, they maybe they they eat that one out. But at the same time, it's not necessarily fair to say, okay, you lost your best player. Now you know, do the same thing and you know, help them pull this out. But I mean, I I think that the question for you and I have is, what you know, do you expect Game Four to look very different? You know, as far as, you know, Washington, the way they're looking for shots. Um, and I guess, you know, Tolliver's the biggest component to talk about here. But just what do you think it'll look like compared to what we saw in game three? Yeah, I mean, it's really, uh, this is going to be a boring answer, but it's it's hard to tell. I do think that they really liked that small lineup. Um, Hawkins, uh, her by the eye test, she didn't look bad as the plus minus showed. And I think Coach Tebow was really going by the plus minus because he relies a lot on that statistic. And, you know, she was really grabbing. I think, you know, in 19 minutes, she had about, you know, eight, nine rebounds and seven points, including a three-pointer. And three-pointers were hard to come by for this in the first half. So, you know, I don't know if we're, what we're going to see as far as in that power forward position if um, – if Deladon isn't able to come, if they're going to continue to go small, which the lineup they went with for most of that second half was uh, Latoya Sanders and then four guards. They switched Ariel Powers over to the four and then had Tara Ruffin Pratt, Ariel Atkins, and Chrissy Tolliver all in there. Now, a few things to note about that. Number one is that Natasha Cloud also really struggled early in the game and Tebow lost confidence in her, I would say. And, you know, he doesn't do that for her with her much, but she was on the bench that fourth quarter. And, you know, he trusted in the defense that uh, Riven Pratt was bringing a lot more than the defense that, uh, that she was bringing. And, you know, he said in press conference, he said, look, 
She's been really crucial for us all last game. She had a very uncharacteristically bad game. It's not going to happen again. You know, it's not going to happen again. Natasha Cloud was the first one out there on the court. Like when we left the press conference, she was already back on the court in GW um, working on her shots and trying to shake off that bad game. So if she plays better from the one, and so then you have Tolliver playing more off ball, you've got a much better situation already going. You've got a much more comfortable situation for the Mystics offense and for the way that they usually flow. So that's going to be one of my biggest question marks is just what is Natasha Cloud going to look like? Is she going to struggle? I talked to her at practice day. I stopped by Mystics practice and she was very frank. And she said, you know, look, I think a lot of us, we, we care so much about Eladon. We care so much about winning. She said, I think we were, and she said, and I admit that I was, I was pressing, trying to do too much early on instead of kind of letting the game come to you. Everyone feeling like they had to be the hero now, with a game under their belt, I think they have the confidence of knowing that even without Deladon, they're still right in there with Atlanta. And so maybe that'll add a layer of comfort, and you'll see people settling in a little bit. Another thing to note is that Ariel Powers told me today in practice that she hadn't played the four, our forward position, since she was a sophomore at Michigan State. <laughs> She's in her third year in the league right now. So that's a, that's a pretty ridiculous uh, statistic. She w- didn't even play it in practice. She said she thought Tebow was kidding when he said put her in at the power forward spot off the bench. And yet that's what we saw. And, and that worked really well. She had, you know, 18 points, eight rebounds, uh, really kept the Mystics in that game, particularly in the third quarter where it looked like Lana was going to uh, possibly run away with it. So give a lot of credit to her off the bench and for her being able to adapt really quickly. Uh, she's also going through a lot off the court. She told me that last week her great grandmother, who she was incredibly close to, pass away suddenly and that Tebow allowed her to go back uh, home for the funeral um, last Thursday. But she was really emotional over that. She's just kind of, it's just kind of been an overwhelmingly emotional few days um, for the, uh, the, well, I was going to call her a guard, but you know, maybe the, we call her power forward now. Yeah. I, yeah. I think powers, powers is going to be important for them. Just somebody that can, you know, one of the recent broadcasts, I think I brought up that, you know, Mike Tebow at one point said that powers likes to dribble too much sometimes. Well, now they need someone that likes to dribble because I don't, you know, watching game three, I just, I just felt, you know, that it, with if Cloud's not playing well, if she's not if she's not aggressive, I don't think Atlanta's not scared that Washington's going to do anything to to get to the basket to to really put pressure on their defense to get easy shots. It's more you know, okay, make sure Chris Tolliver doesn't get any threes, and we kind of just you know just live what happens and make sure we're talking and and stay in front of people. And power you know Powers can Powers has a little bit of shake to her game. She can she can put a little bit of pressure on people and get to the rim. You know she got to the free throw line a little bit in game three. I think I think they really need her to help them rack up those easy points. But I mean, cloud cloud would help a lot too. They just somebody that can put their head down and really put some pressure on the basket. And you know it's and we've we've mentioned this before. It's one thing to say it. It's 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 a lot to ask with with Atlanta shot blockers who are in there. But they need to. They need to do. They need to put a little bit more pressure on the basket and just really. I mean, they did a pretty good job for the most part of kind of mucking this game up. They slowed it down. You know, both teams got a ton of offensive rebounds. A lot of guards were swooping in for offensive rebounds. If they can, if they can control the tempo and just you know keep Atlanta from from getting too many too many quick shots in transition, it might they might be able to make it their kind of game. And of course, we'll I'll be waiting on pins on on pins and needles to see if Atlanta Deladon's going to play in this game. I think everyone will. I mean, like I said, it's it's a pain tolerance issue, and that might sound like, well, then if it's nothing structural, she should play. But this is an injury that kept Bryce Harper out for like six weeks. It's the same, you know. So this is not an injury that people usually come back on in, uh, in a few days. It's possible. It just depends on kind of her individual rehab. She's been rehabbing completely around the clock. Adele Dunn wasn't at practice on Saturday. Uh, she was tweeting from the higher chambers and things like that. So, um, uh, you know, you know, there's nobody who's um, more disappointed that she wasn't out there than Adele Dunn herself. Um, you know, she came, she, she knows that what, a, what an opportunity this team has. And 
uh, how much this means to to Tebow and to to DC and her teammates and how much it means to herself. So, it, but it's going to be really interesting. So Powers did get a day of practice in at the four today. She said she felt much better. I mean, you have to remember this is a player that's only been in DC with the Mystics team for six weeks. She was already she was still just learning plays. Uh, not even six weeks, really. Maybe five. I don't know how long. But uh, since right before the All-Star break, she's still in the regular playbook at the at her three position, let alone now all of a sudden be th- being thrown in game time at the four. So it's it's actually a pretty remarkable thing. It's a lot about Tebow that he put her in there instead of a Mo Curry um, and or, you know, instead of another player off the bench that he, he trusts her. She brings so much energy and so much uh hustle to this team and in in a playoff game it's really that type of energy that has the ability to change um you know change the course and like i said there there was moments there in the third and fourth where i thought that atlanta was going to run away with it and every time the mystics came back almost got there so that's that's positive uh, also worth noting the mystics need to need to drive to the basket and um, trust their own shot blockers. Latoya Sanders was pretty phenomenal this game. She got six block shots, which I don't think has gotten enough attention. You know, Sanders blocked six shots herself. So we always talk about shot blockers, now, but here's Sanders, you know, by the basket, just get her hands on everything. Yeah. And I think she had four of those by halftime. Um, yeah. And I, the, you know, the, the last things I, I guess I have two things I want to bounce off you and see your reaction to them. If, if Deladon doesn't play one, what do you think would happen if if they try to play a little bit more through Ariel Atkins and we see a game where she's getting trying to get up, you know, she's getting up 18, 19 shots and just see if they can just really milk, you know, her pull up jumper, which she's which has been what she's relied on so much when she's not spotting up, if they can just milk that as much as they can and and maybe that helps them force Atlanta to do something a little different with their defense. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Ariel Atkins has been invisible. Um, you know, she had she was a second leading scorer in this game. She had 17 points and uh, was by far their most efficient shooter. Um, you know, it's I think even more efficient than Sanders. But I, I do, I do, I think that there's a lot to that. You know, I think Atkins has been such the linchpin for this team. You know, she's really one of those players that you talk about that drives you know, drives everything they do, even when they're not getting a lot of baskets. Um, you know, I was sitting sitting courtside with our uh, fearless leader, Howard Megdal, and, you know, we just kept talking about how she just has such great anticipation and she's so smart and she always seems to be ahead of everyone else. She knows exactly where she needs to be on the court at all times. I'd like to see her take more shots. She passed up a few shots that were open last night. And I think the team late felt the pressure to get Chrissy going because they felt like that could change the course of the game if Chrissy got going. And look, Chris happens. Christy gets going. You 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 stick with a player like Christy Oliver because there are enough times that she is able to get out of her slumps and turn things around and change everything that's happening. So what's happening a lot in the fourth quarter were players who were shooting better than Christy was that night, passing up their own shots to get it to Christy to try and get her going but it just wasn't happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I just, it's, it, it's, she's got, <laughs> Christy Tolliver has got the weight of the world on her shoulders and it's, it's tough because Atlanta's got guards in Tiffany Hayes, Alex Bentley, and even everybody else, Bernie Sykes, Renee Montgomery, you know, they're going to fight to get over screens. They're not going to be afraid to send that extra big to, to have the big step up. If that means they take away the three and it's, it's really hard work if you have to beat that one-on-one to still try to get some shots off and it's, there's no, there's no perfect solution to that uh, with if Elena Deladon isn't playing. And the one last thing for me that I think would be interesting to see Washington try, and this kind of goes with the, just the aggression that they need to see with a couple, couple players starting with Natasha cloud. They've, you know, they've started two of these three games going to, to cloud in the post against Renee Montgomery and I wonder if they're going to try to pick at that a little bit more and and maybe even Sykes and Bentley a little bit too. Uh, but just, I mean, you know, I mean, these Washington players, a lot of them, these are, these are bigger bodies on the wing, you know, Atkins, uh, Cloud, Ruffin Pratt, even Powers, of course, if they, you know, if they try to just duck in a little bit more 
And they, because they can kind of invert their offense now if they want. You have Latoya Sanders spot up 17 feet away. You've got Hawkins who can stand at the three point line. And if they just try to feed that, and maybe that can be something that gets them some easy shots. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not easy to just come right down and do it. Um, you know, Atlanta will pressure the ball. They can send some, send some help. And it'll be tough to make those reads sometimes. But I wonder if we see that. And maybe that's something that they can do to op- open up some more wide open threes and even just, just go, go straight, go straight to the rim. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great idea. They certainly have got to um, confuse this Atlanta defense <laughs> a little bit more, which is really hard to do. We got to do something to get a step on this defense because look, they're not shooting 36% just because they're having an off night shooting. I mean, that's certainly a part, you know, I mean, uh, they can do better than that given, you know, against the same defense. That's not, uh, you know. Uh, oh, sorry, I just lost my headphones. Um, You know, that's not what I'm, yeah, you know, I don't want to imply that, but but Atlanta's defense is stingy as one of the best in the league for a reason. So I do, I really like what you're saying about the fact that, that if they can get to the glass some more, it's going to really open up their their outside game and it just felt that in the in this game early they were pressing because they were trying to get the three rain three running to you know get the crowd engaged to get some confidence in you know make them feel better about not having deladon and then late they were trying to get the three and they're trying to get christy going so it was just they kept pressing it and i understand mentally why they kept doing it and it's honestly hard to it's hard to argue against their strategy. It almost worked given a pretty uh, impossible situation. <laughs> you know, it, it almost pulled off. They, you know, they didn't embarrass themselves in this game, but uh, there's, there's got to be something to be able to stretch this defense a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe get them in foul trouble a little bit would be good. Yeah, absolutely. That would, that would obviously be a big help. Too. And <laughs> that, I, that would I, help. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> I, I said I had two things. We should talk about Atlanta at some point. But what my I also want to say if I would like if Deladon doesn't play, I would I want to see Maisha Hines on play more. She, you know, she had that she had that sequence where she had a nice, a really tough finish on the roll, and then it came back down quickly the other way. And I think that was a really good sequence because you saw. I mean, her teammates. I think I've read they call her the Ox. You just saw how fast and big and strong she is even though she might be a little undersized against some opponents, but against the Atlanta front line, that's not your biggest concern. But just to get some more athleticism on the floor to help you out, clean up on the boards, offense and defense, and maybe, maybe experience wise, she isn't quite there to help as much with this, but just another big body that, you know, you make, you're going to make Tiffany Hayes think, make the rest of Atlanta guards think a little bit more when they try to take it in, in you on the basket. So that Sanders isn't your only, you know, last line of defense to really be a challenge at the rim. I'd like, I'd like to see it. And I, for a little, for a little bit more than seven, eight minutes. I agree. I, my, this is, you know, I like to clarify what's actual reporting, what I've heard from the team and what's my assumption. My assumption, my gut is that the plan was to play her more, but at that four position. And then, you know, once it became clear that that Sanders powers lineup was looking really good and that's what he wanted to stick with late in the game, there wasn't, there wasn't anywhere to put her, you know? Um, and, and that's kind of what it felt like to me, but she also, she, she looked slow on the rebounds, uh, this game. She didn't get any, I don't think was very uncharacteristic of Maisha, but you're right. I mean, she is a tank in there and her ability to drive to the basket. I mean, she just clear her own path pretty much, you know, just like tumble through there. It's pretty impressive to watch. And I would like to see her. I'm also curious if we're going to see a response to this game, you know, the next game. She didn't come in, but if having another one of those big physical bodies at the basket is going to be a way that he goes. You know, Tebow really doesn't like to have big lineups. He likes to have shorter lineups and he's very open about that. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I, Second guessing Tebow is a fool's errand, and I know that, but he stopped using Maisha in the rotation pretty much in June, even though she had been doing really well. And of course, the lineups that he chose were working. I mean, the Mystics had very good. I don't know that having her in there in any of those games they lost would have been the difference maker. But what you did is you lost some development time for her. You know, you lost the 
you she didn't get any meaningful minutes and now all of a sudden she's getting meaningful minutes in you know a do or die playoff game basically and that's a tough that's a tough thing for for a rookie to have to deal with but she was out there working hard she was the last one on the court in practice and has been the last one on the court in many practices trying to get you know get things she's she knows that this team trusts her she told me before the game yesterday that you know, she just keeps going back to that moment she made the team. And she knows that she beat out really good players like Dev, you know, uh, Devro Peters, who's now, you know, um, you know, playing main, meaningful minutes for Minnesota. I mean, not Minnesota, but for the Mercury in the playoffs. So, you know, she knows that she, um, that her just making this roster was a sign of belief that not many second rounders do make rosters anymore. And, and she's kind of carrying that with her, but I thought she looked a little lost at times yesterday and that she was a little bit just kind of thrown into the fire. And I, I am, I do hope that they're able to find a way to use her a little bit more effectively and consistently in the next game. Cause she's, she, she and Atkins both have such a great eye for the ball and I know how else to put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, she's going to be an interesting player for them moving forward with her, you know, being on a cheap contract. And then if she can kind of, you know, follow the mold of what, you know, like what Tiana Hawkins did, you know, adding, adding, getting more comfortable from the three, uh, you know, really cutting up her body and just, and just progressing with the speed of the game def- defensively to be able to make a difference there. I think that'll be, that'll be fun for them moving forward. Yes. But I want to close talking about Atlanta a little bit. Um, you know, they, they won the game and we don't, I don't want to cheapen that. And, you know, the thing, the thing I'm, I'm looking at for them is, you know, Tiffany Hayes, a couple of them, she was open, which helps, but you know, her looking, her looking for her own shot from three, I think is important for them. Um, You know, she, I mean, she should be, she is at the point where she should be looking to take four or five of them a game um, when they're open for her. But I think, I think this, you know, game four to me feels like the game where, where we're, you know, Renee, Renee Montgomery might really uh, get get loose here. I mean, she shot one for seven. Or sorry, let's go. That's backwards. Three for eleven in game one. Two for seven. One for seven has just made three threes in this series. I mean, a lot of that's due to Tierra and Pratt's defense, which has been pretty stellar and always is. Um, yeah, but yes, yeah, she's she's been struggling. Yeah. So for them, you know, for them to get, you know, a, Hayes getting getting to the basket like normal, but hitting a couple outside shots, Brittany Sykes knocking down three threes, and Elizabeth Williams has really, really did a good job with them getting on the glass um, and extending some possessions for them. But you know, they got Bentley shot just five for fifteen, but you know, she's going to be a confident player. It's her job to come in there and spark the offense. I think if Renee gets loose and knocks down a couple threes, I think that'll really change the game. And that you know, if no, if if there's no Deladon, this might this might be the game where Atlanta builds an early lead, and they maybe they maybe will be able to make it look like people would think it should look with Deladon not playing. Yeah, I mean Atlanta's a great team, and they are they are fun to watch. They are so physical, so aggressive, and they don't let you get away with it, really. And it. it there were a couple of times, I mean, Tiffany Hayes looked hurt one time, Sykes looked hurt at one time, but they just keep like bouncing back. <laughs> like all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, that, that looks worrisome. And then the next thing I know, I'd look up and they would be checking back into the game. I mean, I got to give Coach Colin a lot of credit. Like her rotations were just phenomenal. All of her players were rested at the end. Um, you know, she kept, they did a really great job. And Tiffany Hayes, I asked her about Tolliver in the press conference. And she talked about how her and Bentley just do such a good job sharing that load so that it doesn't wear either one of them out, you know. And of course, they know that if, if there are switches off of them, that there are, you know, that the rest of the team are very, very capable defenders as well. I mean, it's nice to have as your, you know, have in your back pocket a Jessica Breland, a, you know, a Brittany Sykes and Elizabeth Williams. But I, I think that just having guards that can play defense like that, they, they've, they're very proud of the job they're doing on Tolliver. And I think if they can keep that up, they're in, in for a good, good show. But I mean, Tiffany Hayes, she had her, her difference maker game. I mean, I, I, I said this and people might think I'm oversimplifying this, but 
the to me the story of the game was Tolliver three for fifteen versus Hayes, you know, seven for thirteen. You know, there you have it. You know, who stepped up out of those and who didn't? Who which one of the shooting guards, you know, really really came to life? And Hayes said, This is this is my moment. And it's it's exciting to see her do this on the stage. This is really a chance for her to um you know, I'm not saying she's in vet, she really cares about raising her profile, but it is. It's a time for her to just kind of show what she's made of. Atlanta doesn't get that much coverage. They don't get that much attention. And, you know, she, as we know, has been a snub um, in everything from, you know, mock drafts way back to, uh, you know, all-star selections in today's day. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, for Atlanta to to finish off this series and to play well in the finals, they, I mean, I, I was... I felt this way during the first half yesterday, especially they, you know, Tiffany Hayes needs to be a little more selfish. She needs to go to the top of the key and say, okay, give me the ball. Because the other thing with, without Deldon being on the court is that, I mean, there's, there's going to be an, another, another player on the court that she can really pick at, you know, Hawkins in the starting lineup, you know, in pick and roll, she doesn't have much of a chance. Hayes is going to get to the rim. Uh, Ariel powers playing more minutes, you know, try as hard as she might. She's not staying in front of Tiffany Hayes. Uh, if she gets Chrissy Tolliver on her, she's going to get to the rim. So it's, you know, whether she's whether she's calling for, whether she's using a screen or she's just going by herself, there are definitely, you know, if she can be a little more ruthless and really pick, pick her spots well, she's going to get all the way to the basket. And then it's more a matter of making a good decision to pass it out or to go for her own shot. And I think that's that's the one thing we could see even more especially from the beginning of the game. And like I said, maybe this ends up being the kind of game where Atlanta does build a lead early and kind of, you know, keep their foot on the gas and, you know, really kind of make a statement to close out the series as they, you know, move on to the finals. Uh, you could tell me anything is going to happen in this game. And I would, I would leave. I think we've been saying all series, but look, Atlanta is, is special. I think uh, I wouldn't have the mystics out quite yet, but even just the, adversity of not knowing whether or not you're going to have Elena Deladon, right? Like say that Deladon does come back for tomorrow night. That's obviously the best case scenario. You want that to happen, but she hasn't been in practice. You haven't been able to make adjustments with there. You know, you've had powers putting in this time before you're questioning your lineups a little bit more because you haven't been, you know, you've been getting different players involved. Uh, you know, there, you've lost, you've lost some time, you know, whereas Atlanta has been able to build on things, you know, every practice from game to game, the mystics have been stuck this, you know, question mark world. And that, that wears on you emotionally, wears on you physically. And I, I think that there, if Atlanta gets off to a hot start, it could be deflating for this team. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, to, I think it's, it's tough because the schedule has obviously, it's it's hard to quantify it. Of course, you can't you can't whittle it down to a science, but you know it's definitely been tough on these players. And we've seen, and no, I'm not going to imply that there's a one to one correlation, but we've seen. I mean, just about everybody's dealing with a key injury right now, and it's you know to win titles you have to get lucky too. And obviously, Washington hasn't hasn't had that luck. Obviously, we all hope Deladon's to the point where she's able to play in this one, but you know. Look at the four teams left standing. You know, Seattle's the only one that that has their whole roster ready and available to play. And we'll see we'll see how it unfolds. But Lindsay, I'll leave you with a closing thought. Do you have anything else looking at game four or just something you saw observe were able to observe from game three while you were there? Um uh I feel like I didn't I, I shouted her out once, but I want to make sure, you know, uh, I thought that they did a much better job on Alex Bentley and on keeping her contained. And um, you know, Rough and Pratt's defense just had a, a whole lot to do with that. I think, you know, after she kind of shut Bentley down, they ended up not going to her as much. And then that, you know, um, but it, it was, she's a player that uh, all she wants in life is to make an all defensive team. <laughs> like she says that at the start of every season and it's kind of ridiculous. She hasn't made one yet. Uh, but, and of course she wasn't this season because she was the bench for most of it, but she is a great player to have, you know, um, her defense can change a game and we've seen it change games and she got a lot of minutes in this one and she also great points she got some clutch shots when you'd be and her range is extended and so it's good to see you know i 
I want to see her keep seeing her take the shots when they're open because I know she's playing work and I know how much this team can be like can uh, fuel off of her. So I want to make sure that she doesn't kind of get left out when we're talking about these, you know, you talk about all the high scorers, you talk about the big name rookie, you know, these rookies and you talk about aerial powers who's, you know, scoring uh, all these points. But um, Ruffin Pratt has a lot to do with whether and will have a lot to do with whether or not this team advances or not. All right. Well, that's good stuff there. Go follow Lindsay at Lynn Sports. Go read her on High Post Hoops on Game 3. We'll look forward to Game 4, and Lindsay will look, f- look forward to talking to you again, either uh, either on Atlanta advancing or, or to set up a Game 5. Part 2 on this Saturday edition, where on the other half of the WNBA playoffs, we, I suppose we now have a series. The Phoenix Mercury win by 20 in Game 3 over the top-seeded Seattle Storm, and with me here is Alex Simon, who was there in person. And Alex, I guess the first question I really want to hit on is just what the, the start of this game, what what was different? Was it the energy of Seattle? Was it more just what Phoenix was doing? What, what really made the difference from the start of this game? First off, Ben, thanks for having me back. Um, I actually think the look of the starting lineup change was I want I don't want to say it, it shocked Seattle because that's far too strong of a word, but it kind of changed the way Phoenix played defensively, and that led to more difficulty for that starting unit for Seattle. So obviously we learned I want to say what probably like seven or eight hours before tip that Talbot was going to be out with a concussion, which honestly makes a lot more sense as to why she didn't play as much down the stretch in game two. But when we learned that she was going to be out for game three, and frankly, it seems pretty likely that if she missed game three, she probably also misses game four. We don't know anything for sure, but the Suns, or excuse me, the Mercury decided to go with Bonnie Turner, and that just changed their entire look. Going with the three guard set matches up size wise a lot with Seattle, who naturally is a pretty small team to begin with. And they, between Turner, in January, those two guards were just sensational defensively against Lloyd and Bird and really shut them down from the jump and throughout the 40 minutes. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was exciting to play to see Turner play this well and to get to play this much because she and, you know, she and Talbot are different players. You mentioned the defense, and Turner is also just a much more dynamic athlete. Uh, she can really put the ball on the floor and just get to the rim in, in the blink of an eye. And the one thing that I think, you know, I was, I was just totally enthralled with watching her play in the Euro league where she just had been given the keys to her team to be the point guard. And just from the top of the key, high screen after high screen. And she looked awesome. And, you know, obviously that's not going to happen for her with the mercury. Uh, But they're, they're pretty close to that now because with, with this four outlook and the one thing, you know, Turner was kind of up and down this year and obviously wasn't playing a lot. But I thought it was so interesting to see this because now she got a chance to play big minutes with that group and you got to see her get to play more space where she can where she can maximize those tools. And a night where Diana Trossi shoots just three for 11 in total and Breon January didn't make a three in this one. And obviously the defense is still there. But Turner Turner gave them that big lift, and I don't know. It, it it's how much do you think do you think that effort is very repeatable with the kind of look she was getting and the defense she was playing in that game? I, I'm not certain this is repeatable, especially on the offensive end, because frankly speaking, what she was able to do offensively, I believe she hit the very first shot of the game for Phoenix last night. But for her to drop 19 points like this and to be aggressive i think the scoring may not be here the assist definitely could be there especially because if phoenix decides to kind of maybe be a little more multiple and run sets with tarasi coming off the ball that might be a way to get her some better looks going ahead and especially with two pass type guards who aren't afraid to shoot with january and turner i think that could really give them a good possibility to go to and kind of switch things up I mean, there were possessions last night where Turner, who, by the way, played the most minutes of anybody in the game last night, which is just a testament to her 
endurance and really her stamina to be able to play this well in a starting role and play this long, even after not really having that type of a role for a while this season. I think the key for them going forward is maybe not to necessarily rely on this level of scoring and just kind of have it be like found money in the way, which it kind of felt like it was last night. Like, oh, we needed her to step up. But really when they need her to step up, it's shut down on the defensive end. And that was really a lot of what Brondello was talking about post game is when we ask her to do stuff, it's a lot of times it's on the defensive end. And then if she can do anything like even half of what she did last night, if she can even score 10 points, it's kind of a huge bonus and kind of found offensive points in that way from her. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe I, I would say I'm a little more, I'm a little more high on her to be able to repeat this kind of performance. I just think, I mean, I think one, she's just so fast and I think, and I think it's very different than what we saw in most of her regular season, because a lot of the times she didn't play the starters didn't either, but she didn't, she wasn't playing with a spaced floor mm-hmm. like this in the regular season. And even last year where she was a starter and, and you, you talk, you talk about the defense last year, she was their stopper. You know, the starting backcourt was Leilani Mitchell, Tarasi, Brandon Turner. And, you know, the one thing you question is, you know, is the three going to fall for her, but can she make two if she takes six or seven? I don't think it's all that it's all too much to ask. Which, by the uh, way, was a two for seven last night from her. So that's right reasonable re- range for her. Right. You know, last last year in the playoffs, she was she couldn't miss. She shot. Let's see. The total was in the playoffs. She shot nine for seventeen. And this year in the regular, didn't shoot it well last year in the regular season. And then this year, shot thirty two percent. So. You know, probably more of about an, a league average three point shooter, but that's probably enough with with her ability to get to the rim. Because you know, with Dewana Bonner, it's a lot of the same way, where sometimes you're going to close out short to her, but she's just been so good with her first step and putting her head down. But I want to I want to talk a little bit more about Seattle, and then maybe we come back come back to Phoenix. Uh, just you know, maybe we can start and just pick one. Don't want to lump them all together, but I mean, let's talk about their three stars: Brianna Stewart, one for eight from three; Drew Lloyd, one for ten overall; Subert, one for zero oh for eight. What did you see, and I guess in how Phoenix maybe contributed to that, and maybe how much of it was just less likely to repeat in Game Four that there were shots that maybe Seattle's going to make in Game Four? I feel as if I mean bad shooting nights happen, and especially considering who it happened to. There was a point there where they had foul trouble with Alicia Clark pretty much the whole time throughout the night. So she wasn't on the floor to the level that maybe she usually can be. And also just wasn't getting as many shots as she has at the times. But I do think the two-guard look really did kind of stifle a little bit between Lloyd and Bird. Um, and Dan Hughes freely admitted that, like, they weren't sure how Phoenix was going to adjust their rotation in the lineup. And especially with them really only going eight deep before the injury to Talbot, the idea that they just basically said, all right, we'll just play these seven that we're still going then probably was a little bit shocking. Maybe Seattle thinks, or I don't know if they prepared too much for the eighth or ninth player off the bench, but kind of if you're thinking that they're going to go this way and then they just throw Turner in and let her kind of feast and she's able to, keep up that energy across 37 plus minutes. That's definitely maybe a little startling. I just think a bad shooting night's a bad shooting night. And especially, I, I agree kind of, Dan Hughes after the game said, for us to have the night that we did, but then you know, going into the fourth quarter, it was, a, I believe it was a four-point game, if I'm remembering correctly. And then Phoenix starts the fourth quarter with, yeah, actually it was a four-point game. It was 60-56 to 56 after three. And then Phoenix goes on a 12-0 run to start the fourth quarter. And so at that point, yeah, the game's over. But the fact that it was at four through three quarters when you barely got anything out of Lloyd, you had nothing in terms of scoring from Bird, even though I didn't think Bird really played that bad, given that her shot wasn't falling, to still have 11 assists on the night. The, she was still moving the ball. I think really what happened is just in the, in the first half – they just were not getting the same type of looks that they were finding at those points in the two games in Seattle. And Hughes freely admitted, this is a young team. Other than Bird and Howard, a lot of these players are experiencing 
this level of the playoffs where you're one game away from the WNBA finals, you have to go win a game on the road against a team salvaging elimination. They didn't do that last year for a lot of them in their first playoff game at Phoenix. Now they're in this position where it's not winner go home for Seattle, but it is for your opponent. That t- sometimes you have to play one of those games to adjust to it. And Hughes's belief was is completely that. They just needed to play here to understand what this is like. And they have the luxury of they're up 2-0 in a five-game series. So if they lose one of these games, all right, we just need to win one of the next two and we're on. And I'm sure they're going to come back out probably with a counterpunch pretty strong right out of the gates on Sunday. You know, I've I've been pretty skeptical of of Seattle all season long. You know, I don't I I don't agree at all with this this idea that I've seen out there a little bit that you know that you've got to have this reverence for Seattle because they were the one seed. This is not this is this is very different from the Lynx, for example, last year being the one seed. You know, they had much more separation from the rest of the pack, and they had they had been they had been playing in final series together for a while. And you have the experience of Sue Bird. Alicia Clark's been in the league for a long time. But even Natasha Howard, you know, she didn't play a lot. Last year, she barely played in the playoffs. And now if she, you know, foul trouble has been an issue for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if she can't play 30 minutes, they're going to lose. So it's not as if they have they have all these players that have been through these battles. And, you know, I think the challenge for Seattle, we saw it in the beginning of games one and game two. And now... You know, Phoenix can send this to a game five and then everyone will go crazy with the Diana Trossi and winner take all game stat. But, you know, does Seattle tighten up? Because what's made them so good is the ball doesn't stick. It moves. Play, bodies are moving. And that that's what makes it really tough because, you know, if they were if they if they didn't play the way they did offensively, it would be much harder for them because Brittany Griner would have a better would be able to spend more time just standing under the rim and we talked about, you know, Griner a lot in the last episode, but, you know, she can't, she can't just do that. You know, she's got to move. She's got to be out on the floor. Uh, but one thing with Seattle, we saw Sammy Whitcomb for the first time in the playoffs. What did you make of her in her 11 minutes for Seattle? Whitcomb was phenomenal to be able to step up in that way. And really actually between, it was actually the bench unit, if you will, of Whitcomb, Langhorn in Canada that really carried Seattle back and actually gave them their only lead of the night about middle of the second quarter, they had a 31-30 lead at one point, and then Phoenix quickly responded with an 8-0 run to take the lead back. But there is a 15-4 run for Seattle to open up the second quarter that pushed them to the lead, and it mainly came on the backs of that bench unit between Canada, Langhorn, and Whitcomb. I mean, Whitcomb's got, essentially, especially offensively, she has one job to do, and that's to hit three-pointers. If she gets open, and especially with the pass-happy attack that they have, she needs to make her three-pointers in order to be a solid contributor. The kind of funny thing is she's kind of Seattle's reverse turner in that sense, and her job is to hit three-pointers. I didn't think she did very poorly on the defensive end as well. She held her own defensively, did a nice job, and I believe at that point Leilani Mitchell was playing a decent bit too, if I'm remembering correctly. So it isn't like she was going up against Tarasi the whole time. But I do believe Whitcomb really did impress, especially given that it was the first action of this series. And it's just another option on the bench that if you you always want to try to lean on your starters, but if you can get a solid minute, few minutes from your bench, that makes such a big difference in this game. And for her to be plus five in 11 minutes of action is pretty solid considering they lost by 20. So, and to make one other point though, about what you were saying, I still think, and I think if I'm Dan Hughes watching the film on this, I look at the fact that even with everything we did offensively that was poor, we still had 21 assists on our 29 makes. If we're passing the ball like that, it, the shots just didn't fall for them last night to go 29 to 79 and 5 to 23 from 3. Hughes also pointed out they're a team that typically gets to the free throw line quite a bit. So for them to only have five free throw attempts on the night, and none from their entire starting unit. I think that's going to be one of the things that Seattle looks to do is kind of play more, even kind of isolation a little bit and try to see if they can draw contact and get some foul calls. Yeah, I mean, that's the one area, you know, I, I don't, if, if they're only going to shoot five free, throw, free throws in a game too, I think that's another pretty strong indicator that they're not, that they're not going to be able to win. 
And that's that's one of the things I've kind of I've kind of hit on with Jewel Lloyd. You know, she can't just be a jump shooter, even though she's she's been continued to be really impressive growing as as a three point shooter beyond just catching and shooting. And that makes her really tough to guard. But the, I mean, you've got to be you know, I just like I think this kind of parallels nicely with with Bernie Griner making the first team all defense. And, you know, with the coaches voting on that, not that, you know, I think Griner, Griner seems to be a very divisive player. You know, a lot of people, you know, just like look at her, look at her body, look at her physical tools, like, oh, you know, she's got to be, you know, this force of nature. And a lot of ways she is, but like I've seen her make all, all defense when I think a lot of people maybe that I've read and talked to would maybe would have gone with say Elizabeth Williams. I think a lot of that is just like respect because I think especially as a coach, I think you're just so terrified of having to go against Griner because there are so few players in the league that'll put their head down and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to meet you at the rim. Like, you know, try not to foul me. I, I mean, I think, I don't know if I could count on, I don't know if I could give you five names that I would trust to consistently do that. And of course, one of them is Griner's teammate in Tarasi. Griner almost has an impact that goes beyond necessarily what actually happens in direct defense between her and her defender. Because in, in ways, you do have to change your entire offensive scheme because of her. You can try to attack her. You do want to, at times, see if you can get her out guarding somebody with good ball handling skills on the perimeter. I know at times there's been a lot of Stewart on Griner matchups, and Stewart seems to really like it when she has Griner on her because she'll try to use a few dribbles create a little bit of space with maybe an in-out cut or something to give her a chance at a step back. But her just presence on the defensive end changes the way offenses play. And I do think, relatively speaking, Seattle's done a pretty good job at finding ways to utilize it. There have been at least, even in last night's game, there are three or four wide-open layups for Natasha Howard off picking rolls from Bird, where Reiner sometimes can almost be a deterrent to her own team's success in those pick and rolls because if just somebody gets caught up in the bodies and Howard's able to slip through that screen and slip once she sets the screen, Reiner, sometimes if she's flashing, isn't able to recover as quickly. Seattle's done a pretty good job at utilizing the one thing that you really can use against her, which is speed, in order to find some open layups. And that's why Howard really has been pretty solid in the pick and roll so far this year. I think it will be curious to me to watch how, if anything, the minutes for Crystal Langhorn match up against Reiner, because I think that's where, so far, Langhorn's really had a couple pretty solid games off the bench for Seattle. And to be able to maybe go a little bigger as Phoenix goes smaller could be an adjustment that we see use at some point. Well, I think with, I was going to bring up Howard on those roles. Yeah, I mean, some of those were just comically easy. But the problem with Seattle is, you know, at least the way they were guarding it, Griner has to show. She has to, she has to show face to Sue Bird or Jewel Lloyd, whoever's using that screen, because they can shoot, they can make those shots. It's Those aren't – you know, those, for those players, they're clearly past that tipping point where you can't just give that to them coming off a screen. And I wonder if – Seattle looks to milk that a little bit more because when you go to Howard as the roller and maybe not as much with Stewie, Stewie can just stand on the three-point line and Duana Bonner's in a really tough bind. Like you can't leave Brianna Stewart and risk that she gets an open three. And then you've got a, you know, you've got a, you've got really long rotations if you're going to do that. So if they kind of just try to play that straight up and hope they get some deflections or, you know, they, you know, they get over the screens well enough. And, you know, if you're talking about, Turner in January, I think it's, I think that's a good bet if you're Phoenix that you're going to be able to do that and, and to force enough of those, um, to kind of, to, to take away the mo- the easiest stuff out of those, out of those pick and rolls. Yes. I do think we could definitely see a few more secure power pick and roll and kind of put Phoenix in that bind, especially if you run it where you kind of stack your guards on the left side. And you run that on the right side, and you make it very difficult for somebody to come help on the other end and slide down. I think Seattle, I would be very curious to see how that would look if it was done multiple times, even in a few possessions in a row, or you know, three and five possessions, and see 
what Phoenix would do to respond to that. And by the way, since you brought her up, Bonner has just been sensational in this series. As even last night, she's been by far at times, I think, the best defensive player on the court for both teams. And her coverage last night, her help defense off of Stewart, I've been immensely impressed with the way that she carries herself defensively down this stretch here against Seattle. Yeah. And, you know, to circle back to the thing, the whole thing of Seattle getting to the line, you know, if they, if they aren't, it's, there's probably a pretty good chance that that means that Griner and Bonner aren't in foul trouble. And those are two players that if they need to, they're going to play 36, 37 minutes. And Phoenix is fine with that. You know, they, they've been doing that um, for a long time. For more than a month now. Yes. Yeah. And, and just in general, in their careers, you know, they've both been, been players that have been able to handle that. And that's, you know, that's good news for Phoenix. If you keep your starters on the court longer, um, you know, that, that bodes well for them. Uh, another Seattle player, another another bench player for them is Jordan Canada coming off that five for five in game two. You mentioned you felt that, that, that some of their bench players really, really gave them that lift. She hits another three in game three, shoots four for nine, plays 17 minutes. What have you noticed about what Jordan Canada is able to kind of prod at with the Phoenix defense to, to give them a spark? I think really the biggest takeaway I took in watching last night's game for Canada was that she is able to, I, I frankly think she's the fastest player on Seattle's team and she's able to use her quickness and kind of matches up pretty well against the speed of a Turner type for Phoenix. And then also she's, she's still a really smart basketball player. A lot of, if I'm remembering correctly, a couple of her baskets last night were just finding a spot where Phoenix doesn't have a defender when, you know, stuff is happening and people are collapsing on the other end. I think, I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me when they drafted her that she was going to be their point guard of the future and to give her some time to learn under Sue Bird, knowing that, you know, Bird's not going to necessarily play forever from this point, even if she still has a few more years from here on. In theory, if Seattle does win this series and go to the finals and, win the finals, I could see Bird deciding to, you know, go out on top. There's not many opportunities to do that in this league. Obviously, she's probably aware of what's happened with Waylon and that Waylon had a phenomenal game last year, but then this year, stuff just happens. And when you get to a point where you know it's time, you know it's time. Seattle clearly has used Canada to kind of groom her in a way of she's going to be the point guard that we have going forward. And I think she's getting sizable t- chances here from Hughes to make sure that she's comfortable in these situations. And after what Hughes said was a little bit of struggles for Canada in the first playoff game of her career, he feels like she's kind of figured out what playoff basketball is about and seems impressed by what she's done so far. And I would have to agree with him. She's been pretty solid for them. Yeah. I mean, the one thing, the one thing I think everybody has to respect about Canada and I, I've, I this is what I took away watching her watching the Pac-12 so closely is that I mean she's just fearless you know she's not and that's kind of comes back to that Griner conversation a little bit too you know she's not afraid to to put her head down and get in there if that means she's gonna take a shot and and sent flying you know into the cameraman uh but just to see her hitting shots you just you have to you have to give her credit I mean the regular season she shot 35 percent from the field uh 10 of 55 on threes the ball just didn't go in for her for much of the regular season. And, you know, you mentioned if they, they win this series, they go on to win the title, you know, I, one of the big reasons they'll have done it is because Jordan Canada, you know, it's been true so far and that she's been their sixth best player outside of that starting five. And especially on a night where you're getting struggles from your other guards, especially your starting guards between Lloyd and Bird to even be able to get something off the bench from your backup guards Canada obviously being the one you rely on, but even to have Whitcomb step up in a night where I personally, if you, the one thing I noticed too is Stewart scored nine points and really found her shot for a little bit of that third quarter. But if you take away that stretch that she had in the third with nine points, that's a combined eight points from Stewart, Lloyd, and Bird for the rest of the game if you take out that nine point third quarter from Stewart. So that is an anomaly 
of all anomalies for Seattle to have that low of a performance from their big three, if you will. And if you kind of expect them to be able to step up a game afterward, I really think there's a lot to take away from what happened last night for Seattle to where I know Dan Hughes, because he told us this after the game yesterday, is going back and saying, we were right there in it. And if a few things go a little differently, we probably could win this game. I'm sure Seattle feels that way. Obviously, it's a 20-point loss in the end because it was a bad fourth quarter. But I think it was a lot closer than the scoreline indicated it was at the end. So I, I'm very curious as to what will happen, especially how Seattle comes out in the first quarter of the ball. Yeah, and I'm I'm just fascinated to see what this game is going to look like because on both sides, I think you're going into that game saying, okay, that's not going to happen again for us for Seattle. You're not, you know, you're saying, well, our all-star backcourt isn't going to shoot one for eighteen again. And then as if you're Phoenix, you're saying, okay, you know, Diana Trossi isn't going to go whatever X minutes it was without even scoring a bucket. And it was thirty-three plus minutes. Thirty-three. And then beyond January too, you know, they've. Phoenix really, they really love that home crowd. They seem to really, you know, seem to be really energized by it uh, throughout the years. I think you're also saying, okay, this will be, you know, game four, Breon January is going to hit some shots and that's also going to give us a spark. So I think on both sides, I think you're, you're kind of looking for those things to kind of rise towards the mean uh, when it comes to the performances of those players. What do you, what are your thoughts on what, what do you expect this game to look like from the start? That's honestly, it's a very, I think it's an interesting question with kind of the caveat of I'm not expecting Talbot to be back. If she's back, it obviously throws another kind of curveball in there. But I have to imagine with the way the team looked yesterday, Brondello's going to decide she wants to maybe stick more with the three guard look a little more often and go off of that. But I do think Seattle probably is going to be the, have a response tomorrow. I, I'm, all of these games have been relatively close around halftime and have had a point, especially in the second half, where either it got close late like it did for the first two games in Seattle or it was close after three and then Phoenix responded with a big fourth quarter. And yeah, it's been three straight games of a big fourth quarter from Phoenix, even if it came in you know, the first two games where they came from behind to tighten it up. But even yesterday, it was a big fourth quarter to pull away and secure this game easily. I think it will be interesting to see what happens in the fourth quarter for Seattle and if this is truly a problem for them that they haven't found the right gear against this team in Phoenix that has far more experience in these situations than they do. And if they can figure out a way to kind of adjust to that and maybe have a stronger fourth quarter. Because I don't I don't look into it too much the three games of a five game series, especially when you want two of them. But if, it's, if there's a game five and that this is another problem for them after tomorrow, then that's something worth noticing and really thinking about. Yeah, and the, the, the things for me I'm looking at is is just, we as we mentioned, we talked about earlier, is if Seattle really just keeps going back to the well with Howard rolling to the basket because, because Griner has to at least the way they've been playing it so far, Griner has been respecting your guards to take those shots coming off the screen because Stewart standing at the three-point line commands so much attention from her own defender. And how, I mean, Natasha Howard's an awesome, and is an awesome role finisher. She's got long arms. She can get up off of two feet to get up in the air. She isn't afraid of shot blockers. And she can also, you know, she can put the ball on the deck too. You know, she's a fluid athlete, not just a leaper. She can put it down once or twice if she needs to to get a better angle to go and finish, and I think that's the, I think that's that can maybe be a really they can really maybe push Phoenix to a tipping point where they're gonna have to change what they're doing on defense because, you know, you see it across the league, but you know when teams can arrange the court accordingly, especially if you've got a stretch big, you can have your roller really it's it's really tough to challenge them when a guard is your only real natural person to rotate over and they just don't have the size or the leaping ability to, to alter those plays. Howard also impressed me. She has a pretty good touch with the ball too. She can, she doesn't have to just pound the ball into the basket on those rolls off the glass. She's a pretty good touch too. And really the last point I want to make then just kind of been looking at the league history. Obviously we went to the best of five in this, 
conference finals or the semifinals, if you will, only a few years ago now. But it's just nice to not have either series end in a sweep and have both series go to a game four. And the possibility is pretty strong that one of these two in the semifinals goes to a game five. It's just good for the league and the sport that you do have some high-level basketball at this stage before you even get to the finals and teams that are pretty evenly matched across the board in both semifinals. Absolutely. Lots of good stuff here. We look forward to you, to your coverage of Game 4. And we also have, I believe we'll also have Brendan Clean there in Game 4. So, yep. Brendan, as of now, is coming. So it'll be nice to have double the action. Absolutely. So go follow Alex on Twitter, at AlexSimon99. Go read his stuff on this series, including something that's up now from Game 3 over on High Post Hoops. Alex, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Take care.